Our passage today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to chapter 2, verse 3. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. That is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, that was a lot to read. You tackled it well, right? Everybody? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian. I'm going to borrow the table. Um, tonight, <coughs> uh, I'm coming up here with no notes, uh, with just a Bible, and uh, that's on purpose. Tonight, uh, the person who was supposed to preach uh, ended up having some things come up, and they, they th just really important things actually related to stuff here at the church that they, they just had to be at. Um, and so I got a phone call this afternoon that was like, hey, so you're going to have to take care of this. And it's like, all right. And I got to tell you guys, that is the most exciting phone call to me. <laughs> like, that's so exciting to me. Uh, who in here, if somebody was like, hey, so in a few hours, I'm going to need you to speak for like 40 minutes to 200 people. Anyone excited about that? Me, neither. <laughs> for the most part. But you know what excites me? Isn't, isn't the like... It's not the getting up here and talking in front of you. It's not the, like, pressure to perform. That actually does not. That is, I struggle under the pressure, pressure to perform. Like in Little League, I did fantastic in practice. And that's the only place I did fantastic. Uh, but, you know, what does excite me is that the Lord is the Lord. Amen? He knows what he's doing. And anything that gets done in this place among us is the work that he does. You know, it doesn't matter how prepared, how polished, how eloquent, how insightful you may be. The only thing that truly delivers is what the Lord intends to have happen. That's what he makes happen. And so coming up here tonight, I'm super excited, <laughs> super excited, because coming up unprepared means that I, I, well, first of all, coming up unprepared, and it's not because I am lazy, though that happens sometimes. Anyone else? Anyone? 
No, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not because I'm lazy or I didn't put the work in or whatever. It's just simply because I had no other option. And that is exciting to me because we all get to see what the Lord has in mind. We all get to step into the adventure of like, all right, let's see what you do. Let's see what you have. And that's exciting. Um, also, I just want to say, like, in <clears throat> praying before, one, uh, I'm kind of sick. So if I lose my voice, I'm sorry. Also, if I'm coughing a little bit, or you're like, what's he saying? Sorry, that's the way it is. Whoa. Um, but uh, hang in there. Hang in there. And honestly, if you're like, nobody could understand that, I invite you just to be like, what? Okay? <laughs> like, if my voice cracks and it interrupts the word entirely and nobody could get it, please let me know and I'll repeat it or I'll try. <laughs> we'll see. See how it goes. Thanks, Ephraim. Um, I'll try and repeat the word. If I can't, if you can't understand it. <laughs> um, so what we're doing during, over the course of this series, we're actually looking through the book of First Peter. And the desire is uh, to, to kind of pull the curtain back and kind of show to everyone. Um, and it's an exercise in, in transparency and, and a little bit of like intimacy for all of us who preach to come up and kind of be like, hey, this is how I arrive at the things I've arrived at. Not just to come up here and be like, hey, I got some really good things to share with you. I've worked out the, the way to phrase it. I've got it all dialed and I want to give it to you and look really awesome. To be honest, that's a temptation. That's a thing that everybody who comes up here and shares the word has to wrestle with. And has to die to self and say, Lord, no, 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 this is about you. Help me, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And the truth is that coming in here and praying before service, it's a reminder for me that, like, I can come up and be unprepared, and it doesn't really matter. Because the, the, the beauty and the power and the, the like, curiosity <laughs> of what's going to happen isn't about what happens up here. It's about what happens right here. In amongst you, amongst this place, amongst the people that are sitting right here, each one of you, this is where the great, amazing thing is happening. Every time we gather, anything that happens up here on this thing is just a service to what God is doing here and in you. It's not about me. It's not about this stage. It's not about the words I say. It's about you meeting the Lord. It's about you encountering the God who is alive, whose spirit is active among us. It's about us, plural, encountering him. And we can come into this place each night so excited and eager because who knows what he's going to do in your life, in someone else's. Who knows? I don't know. He does. But man, we get to come in and just be like, what's it going to be tonight, Lord? What's it going to be tonight? I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this time with you guys because I'm excited whatever it is he has in mind for you guys, whether it's through, I don't know, we're going to talk about some stuff, see what happens. But like whether it's through anything I say, whether it's through worship, whether it's through conversation with each other, whether it's in completely independent of anything that's happening in this room, it's just simply the Lord is present with you. I'm excited that he's, he's here and he's for us. And he's with us. It's so good. So good. So you're getting stream of consciousness tonight, and we might go all over the place. We'll see what happens. Um, oh, I guess, I don't know. Have we already gone all over the place? Is this what you want to do? Okay, let me, yeah, put you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to read through our passage, the one that Sarah just read through. And as I do so, we're doing it together. I am going to just kind of process this with you, kind of, I, I guess, just explore these pages together, these words together, and you're going to get to see however messy, ugly, however it might be, however, I, I should throw charming in. That's an option, right? It could be charming. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, how, whatever it ends up looking like, you're going to get to see, this is how I approach the scriptures. This is often how I first start preparing for a message or even when in my own time with the Lord. It really, this is what it's going to look like because I'm just going to do it with you verbally over a mic. Sound good? All right. So um, something we've been saying is show your work. 
Um, that's something Sarah did last week. Is We're going to show you guys our work. Just like in math class, you got to see how you arrived at the answers you did. And um, part of it gives some of the ideas of how we have been trained or navigated figuring this out. These aren't formulas that are like, do it this way or you're not doing it right. These are just tools from people who've walked through some of this stuff to pass on to you to hopefully be useful. And one of the tools that I'm going to, I think I just naturally do every time I come to the scriptures is um, three words, and it starts with observation. So first thing I do as I read through the scriptures um, is it's usually just observing. What is said here? What, what, it, what, is, what is even going on? What's context? What, who are they writing to? Or who is this in reference to? Who is the one who wrote? Uh, all the things that I might observe about the text. I just observe it. Then the second stage is to interpret what you've observed. What, it, what is said here? And these observing and interpreting kind of go hand in hand to actually discover what's said. See, every time that God's word, every time we come to God's word, two things are always going to happen. One, God's word is going to say something. And two, it's going to do something. It's always going to say something. And it's always going to do something. And so as we approach it, we're kind of searching and trying to seek and understand what, it, what is it saying and then what is it doing? And the observation and the interpretation, this is the like, what is, what is this even saying? What, what's even going on here? You know, I, um, I think about like how often I need to come to the scriptures and I'll go through it and I think I understand it. I think I understand what it's saying. I guess I go to interpretation. I'm like, what, what, is, what is this saying? What does this mean? But then actually, uh, I'll read back through it and be like, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait. I didn't even observe. I didn't even see what was there. Who's he writing to? This is in the plural. This isn't, in, this isn't individualistic. Oh, man, I got to reframe how I come at it. So we always observe what's there, and then we interpret it. We try and understand what that means. What, what is here, and what does it mean? And then finally, the last is, what is it doing? Right? The application. And <clears throat> first Peter, this letter we're reading, and even the section we're going through, the application part's actually a little bit simpler than some other passages in the Bible. Um, it's easier to arrive at applications, but there's a lot of passages where it's like, you, like you go into like lamentations, and you're like, how do I apply this to my life? And this is where the scripture says something and it does something, right? And so that what it does isn't always tell you what to do. Actually, more often than not, the scriptures don't tell you what to do. It's just saying something. And more often what it's doing is it's invoking something in you. You're feeling something. It's, it's called, it's, uh, it may be encouraging you. It may be warning you. It may be, um, it might make you feel heavy or sad. It might make you question what's going on or how could this be or is that really what God is like? It's doing something in you. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to come to that and, and wrestle with that. We don't just ignore it. Scripture is always doing something. So even in the passage where you're like, how do I apply this? Um, I want to encourage you to think about how is it making me feel? What is being accomplished for the reader, for the person reading this? Um, that might be a way to get to application as well. Cool, right? Observe, interpret, apply. Okay, um, so you guys with me? Mm, <laughs> deep sigh. Mm. I know you're listening. Okay. So I got two Bibles up here and that's uh, because that's just what I had in my backpack. And um, the reason I have two is because they are different translations. One is NIV. The other is NLT. Um, and uh, when I study the word, this is a normal for me. I, I, it's a common thing for me to have two translations. Um, 
often, if I just have one, I'll read through. But then if there's ever something I don't understand, I go to a second translation. It's usually really helpful. I'll talk about translations for a moment. Why not? So NIV, what does that stand for? Anyone? New International Version. Good job, class. Okay. What about NLT? Anybody know what NLT stands for? New Living Translation. What do those names mean? What are, where did they come from? People. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was loud. Sorry. Okay. Way to go, Tim. <laughs> they came from people. I, I just want, we don't need to get caught up in like the titles or why is it called this or what is it, where does it come from, the names. The names don't really actually mean that much. It's just a way to designate that a specific group of people and almost all Bible translations, the majority, like NIV, ESV, NLT, NSR, NRSV, all of these acronyms, um, they all, what they basically represent is a group of people, a team of people who came together and they took the Greek or the Aramaic or the Hebrew, um, whatever <laughs> aspects of uh, whatever language the original text is in, there's a whole team of people that come together and they go, how do we put this in English? And that's a hard thing to do. And they have different, they usually have different like intentions, different ways to arrive at, at the way, the processes, the way they're going to translate. And so um, these different translations, it's not that the word of God is different or that it says different things. It's that translation super hard, super duper hard. And there's a bunch of different ways to go about it. And so there's different groups that will come together and they work on how do we do this well. And sometimes they work to different outcomes. Like NLT, uh, just context, is actually the translators came together and they're like, how do we make this really readable? How do you make it accessible so that you, it really fits? Because in the original language, it's readable. Like it flows. These, these people were amazing writers. Like the writer of Hebrews, incredible. And yet sometimes we can get into Hebrews in, say, ESV. What is that one? All right, good job. Uh, and you might come to that, and English Standard Version is actually a very word-for-word -word translation. It's like, here's the word in Greek, and in the context of where it's at, the most direct translation is this word in English. So uh, it can get tricky, though. So think of the word, if I said, I have... Um, I got to come up with an example. Here we go. That's my lead pipe. Or I'm the one who leads the event. How do you define the word lead? Lead. Oh, lead. I use, I mixed it up. You know what I'm getting at. You get it. I, okay, yeah, yeah. So like, oh, I got it right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So that's. That's tricky, right? The only way you actually know the definition of the word is actually in the context of the words around it. And so you're always trying to navigate in the context of all of this. So ESV, they try and do the best job they can to be like, what's the meaning of just this word? And then they write it out in that way as much as possible. Now that makes for some really clunky reading sometimes. The other way to translate is you can go idea for idea. Because often ideas... Um, Translating ideas is hard. Anybody speak Spanish? Some people speak Spanish. All right. So, and I might be wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure that there's a saying in Spanish that if you say it in Spanish, it translates into English like the world is a handkerchief. Something like that. Might be, depends on, maybe depends on the culture and country. So I think it's in South America. So maybe not Central America. Depends on where your Spanish is from. But there's a phrase that if you translate into Spanish um, somewhere in, in South America, it's like, the world is a handkerchief. Now, that's a direct translation of the words, the world is a handkerchief. Now, for us, if somebody came up here, and I, I don't know what country it's from. I think it maybe it was Brazil. I don't know. No, that's Portuguese. They speak Portuguese, not Brazil. Anyway, I'm winging it. <laughs> Stream of consciousness. Here we go. <laughs> Whatever comes out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but if we came up here and somebody's speaking, and they used this idiom, the world is a handkerchief, and the translator just translates it, the world is a handkerchief, all of us would be confused, right? You're like, what do you mean? But if the translator 
is aware of what they're saying and knows it's an idiom, they would actually translate it, it's a small world. And suddenly all of us are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we get it, right? We understand what they're talking about. There's, there's uniqueness to the idiom, it's a small world. It's a relational thing. It's not, it's not just like, it's a small world because, I don't know, like, it, it, it always happens in the context of relationship when we say it's a small world, right? Like, it's when you see somebody and it's like, oh, you know who I ran into? Dave from Forest Home. And it was like, oh, wow, wild, that's so crazy. It's a small world. And we understand the context that the idiom's spoken in and the, the context in which it happened. We just get it all instantly if you say it's a small world. But if you say if the, the world's a handkerchief, you're like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And that's where translation sometimes actually has to be idea for idea. And it doesn't quite come across. And so translators talk about a hard job, man. Super hard job. They're trying to figure out how do, how do we, what parts of this do we, do we translate word for word? And what parts is it's like, well, we f- it's pretty clear that this is an idea here. And if we just go word for word, Southern California English speakers, they're going to be like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. So they have to figure that out. It's a balance to walk. And so the translators, they, they try and navigate that. Um, I'll just say another thing, which this comes into observation. Um, letter of First Peter. We're looking at that tonight. One of the first things when you come to the scriptures, first things to observe is who wrote this, who did they write it to, and when? What was the context of them writing it? All of the New Testament was written 2,000 years ago. Not on this continent. A very different place. So the context of that is so different. So, so different. And the wild thing is the translators even have to navigate that. It's really hard. So coming to trans- two different translations is really helpful to ha- get understanding. You kind of pull out, okay, other people arrived at something differently. Um, but 2,000 years ago, Peter wrote this letter. Sarah talked about this last week, the context and some of the ideas of who Peter was and what he did and um, where he arrived at. You can go back and check that out. But that's important to have in your mind as we read what we're reading. Also that it was 2,000 years ago on a different place. So there's going to be things that we don't quite get um, or that we just have to get ourselves into. We have to think about how they would translate it, how or how, sorry, how what they mean in that context and where they're at. Um, also, this is... With any, with almost all of the things in the New Testament, no matter where you're entering, go to the beginning. Here, First Peter, I'll go to the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, Peter, he is writing to multiple congregations, multiple communities of people, And so we automatically know he's writing to a plural. He's writing to many people. He's not just writing to one. And as we go through our passage, I think this will really stand out. I'll point it out. So let's start. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Okay, so, concerning this salvation. Anytime I see this or it, I usually want to, it's really great to clarify what this or it is um, because that's the subject of, of everything else. So, concerning this salvation, What is this salvation? This salvation is what preceded it, probably, which Sarah talked about last week, which we go to verse, let's see, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This salvation. Let's see what else is in here. Mm, verse 9. Or just before 9. 
you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so concerning this salvation, the salvation is that in God's great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it fills us with an inexpressible and glorious joy because the salvation is this, it's the salvation of our souls. So concerning that salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out, okay, search intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Keep going. Maybe we'll get, well, maybe we'll get more insight. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look into these things. Wild. Okay. This salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace. Okay, so related to the salvation, these prophets spoke of the grace that was to come to you and use plural, right? It's not singular, because he's writing to a group of people. Often we come to these things. I, I guess I'll speak for myself, and I'll read you, and I read it as me, just me. And uh, that's probably a product of being raised in the society we're raised in. We're very individualistic, and that's just how we are. We default. Of course, the translators didn't do a bad job here. I mean, they could have translated it y'all. And in the Greek, this actually is plural. But you you works plural or singular, right? Somebody was like, Calvary Community Church, you guys are wonderful. Or you are wonderful. We all like, it can be plural or it can be singular. But in the Greek, that denotes the difference. They just translate it you because it's actually the right translation of it. But because of the perspective we have, with generally individualistic society, or I should say myself, I tend to interpret it as me. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to me, ah, but it's actually to y'all. Grace that was to come to y'all. Okay. Those prophets, they spoke about the grace that was to come, and they searched intently with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Anybody else confused? Anyone? Okay. I'm not alone? Great. This is a rig. Okay. <laughs> so, this is how I work. This is helpful. I've s I saw Brian Regan skit one time, and, and he like did this thing, and I'm like, that's me. This is how I read. Okay. So, the prophets, right? Okay, you got the prophets who spoke. So, these prophets, the old guys, they're speaking of the grace that would come to you, which is you guys, all you people that Peter's writing to in the first century. So, these guys spoke of and searched intently with the greatest care they were curious about. They wanted to know. They wanted to find out all that they could. Time, circumstance. They wanted to find out all they could about the things that the Holy Spirit, which was in them, was pointing to when he, through them, predicted the sufferings of Christ. Okay, 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 okay. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I don't know if you are. So you got these prophets and and the Holy Spirit's in them. And they are prophesying. They're predicting the future. They're declaring realities of, of that are yet to come about Jesus, about salvation that is going to come through Jesus. And they 
are excited about it, right? Okay, okay, they're excited about it, and they're curious about it. Suffering and glory, what's that all about? Sufferings and glory. Okay, another lesson for everybody. This is a study Bible. Anybody know what a study Bible is? So, okay. A study Bible is, uh, sorry, right there. Uh, that's what my son does. But at least I didn't go up to the elbow. Okay. <laughs> um, study Bibles are basically, it's uh, other people. They go through and they help, they help do the work for you of getting into the context of what's going on here. Now, study Bibles are really helpful, usually below. So this is actually the, the word to the passage. And then below is basically commentary on what's going on there. It's historical facts. It's other passages. And this can be helpful, um, like right here. So um, it says, okay, this verse. It says, Through, though the Old Testament prophets spoke of grace being given to the Gentiles, they did not understand all that was involved in God's saving Gentiles through suffering Messiah. Oh, right, right. He's speaking to Gentiles. Paul is writing to Gentiles. Paul's a Jew writing to Gentiles. And yet these prophets were Jewish. Wild, okay. The Old Testament prophets did predict both the suffering and the glory. Isaiah 53. Boom, let's go to Isaiah 53. Okay, as I find it, I need to find something to save a spot. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Isaiah 53. So these, as I find it, these, I see if I can do two things at one time. Okay. Talk and look. Oh, this is hard. Sarah's really good at this stuff. Okay, I'm not. So, <laughs> I can't do it. I'm, just, I'm there. Okay. So, uh, study Bibles are really helpful, um, but they're helpful. That, that's kind of where it ends. Uh, you, as you come to this stuff, recognize that you, these are the thoughts and ideas of another person, not the Lord himself. Um, these are helpful. There's times when you'll get stuff and you'll be like, interesting, okay. And, and it may not fully jive. And at times it's because this is another person. This is another person's thoughts on these passages. And we're not supposed to scriptures are meant to come come into our hearts and in our hearts amongst the, the Holy Spirit the Lord does something with it and he makes it personal he makes it come alive the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword penetrates piercing joint and marrow or dividing joint and marrow and there's not more to that verse I don't remember but basically the word of God is something that's supposed to go internal. It's supposed to dive deep within us. And it does that when we invite it to, when we open ourselves to it, when we let, when we, when we seek it to be personal. And so as it comes here, God does something with it. He mingles it with my experience in life. He mingles it with my understanding of him, the world around me. And he reveals more of myself to me through his word. And it's out of that, that it can come out with power, that it can come out with beauty, that, that the, the realities of what is to be gained overflow. But often what some of us do, I guess, I guess I'll speak for somebody who comes up here and preaches. There's a temptation at times to just <laughs> take something, you know, you got the word of God, right? And I got... Here, it gets to my head. Sorry, Chris. Gets to my head. And um, it just stays there. It never gets here. So there's no power. There's no beauty that can come from it. I don't really have any true insight. And so in fear, I'll just go to what have other people seen? What has the Lord taught other people through? How has God moved other people? So I take that and I just regurgitate it back out. But in a way, we've, it's lost the power. It's lost the beauty. It's lost the personal. 
connection. And, and that's really what God's asking. He doesn't want you to have all the knowledge. He wants to transform our hearts. So commentaries and study Bibles, and this is really helpful. I mean, it's taught me to Isaiah 53, right? I don't know. We'll see. We'll, re- we'll find out what's in here. I know what's in Isaiah. It's good. Okay, never mind. I know what it's happening. But, uh, it, like, you got to be careful that you're not just taking things from others and presenting them as your own. That makes you feel good when others are like, wow, good insight, mm, or whatever. Or when you're journaling and you're like, this is what you've shown me, Lord. And it's like, yeah, but it ha- if it hasn't landed here, he might have shown you, but you weren't really listening. I wasn't really going anywhere. So commentaries and this stuff, it's good, it's helpful, but just be careful with it. Anything that it's said in these things, chew on it, but don't necessarily swallow it. Does that make sense? Chew on it. And as you do, you'll figure out, like, ah, I should take this in, or mm, I'll put that aside. Put that aside. Okay, Isaiah 53. Wow, what was our context? Now we got to get back to the context. You guys are so patient. All right. And we are not going to make it through this passage. There's no way. Okay. Concerning, uh, right, okay, so the prophets, hey, hey, old guys, they're like looking, and they're looking ahead to Jesus coming and what he's going to do, the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow, the suffering, Isaiah 53. This is Isaiah speaking 400 years before Peter wrote this, 400 years before Jesus died on the cross. Isaiah writes, who has believed our message? Okay, hold on, i got to find a spot. Let's look through what's in here. Mm. Four, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ooh, beautiful. That's the suffering, right? Okay, so 400 years before Jesus came, Isaiah's writing this stuff. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him and giving him visions of what is to come of this suffering servant who's going to take on the iniquities, the punishment of others. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and through the, though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and he and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After the suffering of his soul, oh, rough, suffering of his soul, that's so rich. Jesus didn't just suffer physically. He suffered in his soul to the depths. He suffered. He died on that cross, but it wasn't just physical death that he experienced. He experience the soul-crushing reality of separation from God for you and I. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Oh, therefore I will give him a portion among the great and will divide the spoils uh, with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for their transgressions. So good. Okay, glory. I'm trying to think. Sarah, didn't you preach on like, we preached through Isaiah. Didn't you preach on like Isaiah 10 or something about Isaiah 6? Okay, was that about the glory? The holiness of God. Okay, I'm thinking something I read recently through Isaiah. So let's see, I think it's 10. 11, 11, the glory. Well, I'm not going to take the time to look for that. But uh, elsewhere in Isaiah, he speaks of the glory that is to come. He speaks of, of Jesus rising from the dead, being the king above all kings, being the one who brings hope and peace. He speaks of uh, Jesus, the one who would come and would make all things right. Make all things new. And that is by holiness. And it is by <laughs> it is by his power that he would bring peace to those who are facing him. That he would bring others into the, the city of God, an eternal city. And he'd do it perfectly. That those would be delivered unto perfect peace. 
Um, so, man, you guys are real patient here. Okay. Sorry, Chris. That's twice. All right. So, let's keep rolling. I'm really bogging down here. <laughs> Thank you, Ephraim. It was revealed to them, to those guys, Isaiah and all the rest that were looking ahead, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, plural, right? When they spoke of the things that have now been told by you, told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels look into log, long to look into those things, right? Okay, so old guys, the Spirit of the Lord tells them, they preach about it, basically. They talk about what is to come, but they don't have clarity on it. They just have the little bit that they have, and they're like, whoa, this is exciting. This is so exciting. Wait, Gentiles are going to get to come into this stuff? There's going to be, like, the sin of everybody's going to get taken care of. There's going to be peace eventually. There will be a road where tears will be wiped away. That eventually gets said in ways. It's like they're super pumped, but they don't have clarity about it. They're curious, right? And guess what? You... You people who Peter's writing to, you're the ones that they were looking ahead to. Basically, I think, basically they're jealous <laughs> of us. You guys get to know the reality of Jesus being crucified and resurrected three days later. You get to walk in the reality of the Holy Spirit being made available. And even the angels are curious about this stuff. Like the salvation, that salvation that he spoke, that is spoken about, the one where we get resurrection through Jesus, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, that is, fills us with joy, that salvation which we walk in, even the angels are like, this is exciting. What is all this about? And we, the, even the Philippians, or not Philippians, the people Peter's writing to are so excited about that. It continues in verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Mm. Holiness. Prepare your minds. Therefore, prepare your minds. Okay, so, therefore, therefore, we always got to think, what's the therefore? So, that first passage, right? We got that first section about the prophets. Application there. What is it doing? I feel like it's just encouragement. I think he's encouraging them. That encourages me. It's like, guys, like all of history of God's people is looking forward to what you're experiencing right now. They're excited about it. And then he says, therefore, because you are in such a privileged spot, right? Because you're in such a privileged spot that even the angels and those old, the prophets of old, the patriarchs, they all were looking to what you are now experiencing, so excited about it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Oh. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Because we are so privileged, right? The therefore, that's what it's referring to. Because you are so privileged, be self-controlled. Set your mind for action. Do something. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The grace to be given you. Oh. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Does anybody else read holiness? That last verse there, 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's perfect, right? How can I be perfect? What is holiness? Sarah, what's holiness? The whole of God. All that he is. So we should be all that God is. Be all that he is just as he is all that he is. That's impossible. I think. I see to me that it would be. 
what the heck is he singing here? You know what comes to mind? Uh, Dallas Willard, right? Verse 13. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. So it's a call to action, right? He's saying, because you are so privileged, do something. Be intentional about what you're doing because you have grace. Because you have grace. Dallas Willard said uh, that grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. And what he's saying there is, uh, as Christians, yeah, it's, we're, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by the gift of Jesus. It's a free gift that is given to us. The only response we have is faith. It's just to trust him. It's to believe in him and go for it, right? But here he's, there's a call to action. We're called to do something. And he said, we're called to be holy, but I can't even be holy. So what's this all about? I think the grace part is really helpful. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Grace makes up for failure. Grace fills the gap when we can't reach it. Grace does all the things that we can't do. It covers it. It overcomes it. Prepare your minds for action. So, grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Earning and effort are kind of like two things that leap from the same, di same place, location, but go in two different directions. They look really similar. Like if you're, if you're like, man, I am going to try and be holy. I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm going to shun evil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling to what is good. I'm going to pursue not lying anymore. I'm going to pursue being kind and gentle. I'm going to pursue being loving and gracious and merciful. I'm going to pursue forgiveness towards others. All the things that the scriptures continually call us to. The wonderful thing is, one, God went before it. He did it first. To be holy because he is holy isn't uh, be holy because he can't. It's he was holy first. He led the way and said, come follow me. Do it like me. Follow what I'm doing. You, you don't have to blaze a new trail. You just got to follow his. And the grace is that he will provide what you need. And so earning and effort can look the same, but they're going in two very different directions. When I'm earning, I, it's, it's entirely self-centered. It's about me. It's about achieving what I can achieve, doing all that I can do. It's about, look at me, God. See, look what I did. Look what I did. That deserves your love. But the also, the hard part about earning is that when we fail, we crumble. We crumble because, oh, I'm supposed to be earning. All those things I did, were they a waste? It wasn't enough. When, when we're earning, it's just, we get dashed upon the rocks so, so quickly. But when it's just effort, we reap all the rewards of new life and new things. But it's not by our power or will. It's by our surrender to the one who gives us po the power and the ability to do it. We strive because of the incredible opportunity we've been given. Right? The prophets and all of them, even the angels, look at us and go, that's marvelous. That is marvelous what these people get to experience. They get to understand what Jesus did for them. They get clarity about who he is, that we are all sinful, and that he died for us, took on the entire punishment that we deserved, and that he raised from life in promising us new life ourselves, that he sends his Holy Spirit that we may operate in this world in relationship with God. What an amazing, amazing thing. Now, be holy not because it's our responsibility, but because it's our opportunity. Be holy because it's our opportunity. We've been given this incredible opportunity. All those others long to see and know what we have. We strive for holiness. We pursue, we put effort into holiness, not because we can ever arrive there on our own, but because there's something to be gained, because we have an opportunity for holiness. So many before didn't even have this opportunity. We actually have the opportunity for holiness. 
to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may be able to know the will of God. We have that opportunity. Uh, I think this is important. Uh, This is what I'm getting right now out of this is like, Lord, man, sorry for misunderstanding at times. For thinking that your call to good things is a weight I have to bear. Not a joyful thing I get to step into. Not a thing that you invite me to experience. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Well, you guys were super patient. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, We only made it through verse 16. (laughs) Oh, that's all we needed to do. Here's what I want to do. Band, how about you guys come back up? I didn't even use this other one yesterday. Um, um, We're just going to take a minute or two, and I want to invite you to read through. um, If you have a phone, you can open up, just Google search, 1 Peter chapter 1. Or Autumn, can we leave some slides up of the scripture. I don't know which one has the most. <laughs> Can leave it up. Just read through it. Ask the Lord. Observe, interpret, apply. Your word is saying something, Lord. Help me to see it. And then, Lord, what is it doing? What is it doing in me? I think for me, this exercise was helpful to just see tonight in a pretty clunky way. Thank you guys for your patience. Um, but that was helpful a while to arrive, but I think the plane landed for me. Thank you, Lord. That was a landing for me. I don't know what it does for you. But take a moment and ask the Lord what it does do for you. What is he landing in your heart? Ask him about that. See what he has in mind. Amen.